0: Hello, welcome to Stages. I'm your host, Peter Ayers, and I wanted to start this episode by sharing some exciting information. The Stages podcast will record live in Sydney for the very first time as part of the Ideas program at the 2022 Vivid Festival. Engaging and informative, the show is a vital chronicle of oral histories from Australia's rich arts heritage. The podcast has featured 285 conversations thus far with creative artists and performers from a range of performing arts disciplines. This three-series event at Vivid will celebrate the contribution of three key elements vital to the art of telling stories. On Thursday, June 2nd, my guest will be producer Carmen Pavlovich. Thursday, June 9th, we welcome costume designers Jennifer Irwin and Julie Lynch, And the series is completed on Thursday, June 16th when our guest is the Artistic Director of the Griffin Theatre Company, Declan Green. Tickets are free and to register just visit the Vivid website and search for Stages Live. There are going to be three fantastic conversations and it will be great to have you in the audience watching Stages on stage. We look forward to your company and now here's today's episode.
1: I was in emergency. I was around the uh, world of actors as a child. For orphans were
0: needing a casting assistant. No business plan, no concert, no training. It's not something you could do now. Went to school on Friday, got on the bus on Saturday, auditioned for the show. They said, you've got the role. I never went back to school again.
1: <laughs> Thank so, you. Well, I've enjoyed being here talking about my favorite subject. Ego <laughs> in <and> check, me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a date. <laughs> <laughs> it's a day.
0: Kenneth Moraleda is an actor, director, writer, producer of Filipino descent. He started training at Australian Theatre of Young People, ATYP, before being accepted into the National Institute of Dramatic Art, NIDA, graduating with a Bachelor of Acting in 1995. As a performer, his theatre credits include An Enemy of the People with Balvoir Street, and Casa Marquita for 25A. The Global Creatures national tour of Muriel's Wedding, the musical playing Bansai in Disney's The Lion King musical under the direction of Julie Taymor, and the National Theatre of Great Britain and Global Creatures production of Warhorse. He has appeared in the premiere of a David Williamson play, Cruise Control, and has had his Philippine stage debut with the Repertory Philippines in the Pulitzer Prize winning play, August Osage County. His directing debut was an immersive theatrical and cinematic music show, They Say She's Different, written and starring Cecilia Lowe. Since then, he has established himself as a storyteller of great empathy and invention, and driven by enormous passion. In December 2020, Kenneth co-founded the theatre company, Quento alongside Jordan Shea and Yana Vass. The company seeks to create new Australian works that challenge the norms of Australian society. In April, they will premiere a new work titled Arte Lavia by Jordan Shea, and it will be directed by my guest today, Kenneth Moraletta. So we'll start whenever we start. Great. Um,
1: that's good, nice. Can you hear me? Yeah, so yeah, right, that, I...
0: That's that's great about there, yeah.
1: yeah. Could you so hear me do good. sips of tea? Yeah. <sighs> um...
0: What do people make a million dollars out of that? Oh,
1: ASMR, yes. ASMR. This is um, podcasting ASMR. We'll send people to... <laughs> people will go to sleep
0: before we start. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> oh, not so. Not so. We, we want them to hear all about Ate Lovia. <laughs> great. How was that? that? Was that well pronounced?
1: Yeah, that is very, very well pronounced. Thank you. Right, thank um, you. Okay. I think we did put a pronunciation guide in um, the titles... Um, in our press release, which is kind of essential because it does look like eight Lovia or Lovia, several versions of it. But Ate means um, big sister. Big sister, yeah. yeah. It was originally called Big Sister actually, and we were thinking of just using that name, but but having to use the language and that particular that particular quirk of Filipinos using that as a as a prefix to the name as a mark of respect was important to us because I would never call my brother Michael I have to say Queer Michael <laughs> and I have never called him Michael ever and it just feels wrong in the same way that my younger brother will call me Queer Kenneth but I can call him Christian <laughs> so you apply an adjective yeah to describe the person yeah. and in and it's 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 something that we borrowed from the Chinese I think because the Chinese are very specific about it they even have like those um those prefixes as um As um like second sister or third sister, but, and I don't quote me on (laughs) what it is, um but it's definitely, it's definitely a practice in Filipino culture too.
0: I understand why he would call you queer, Kenneth.
1: (laughs) 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 But but why why that particular
0: adjective? Why why not? Are you an older brother? Could you be? I am. I am an older brother. big, Big Kenneth or.
1: Yeah, I am Big Kenneth. Basically. Fun, fun just, Kenneth,
0: just to him. Yeah, queer
1: Kenneth as well. But. Or, or is, it, is it up
0: to the, the the person identifying you to choose what they feel most comfortable
1: in uh, describing you as? It's a, it's a familial thing. It has to be, it has to be done for family respect. So, yeah. So using that as the name in the in um, as the title of the play was important to us because it carries so much of that family tradition in a sense, which is what. The play is all about um, about sort of breaking away from family. If you is you know having to break away from family when you need to to um, to to go further, if if that is proving to be not very good, but still having the respect for your family. Um. Um, In (laughs) Western cultures, you
0: know, kids cannot wait to do that. (laughs) You know, I think I left home at seventeen, just going off to uni. But that's a while ago. That's a couple of decades ago.
1: Well, Um, this was, this is set in 1996. So we've got, and it's it's at the
0: same time. Yeah. yeah.
1: So it was like, but it's a, it's a first generation migrant family as well. So there are, you know, there are sort of responsibilities that they have to have for each other to ensure their survival in Australia. So, um, so having the family unit strong is, is, is very important for that, for those initial years of being here in the country. Um. yeah
0: well Kenneth Moralita I've got that one right? yes, she, yes
1: like, you did I'm good today we'll talk a little
0: a lot more about Arte um, uh, later in the conversation mm-hmm. let's talk about you now
1: um, here's a hard one do you sing in the shower? I do I actually sing in when I'm on tour and I get to a hotel room for the first time I actually do that test shower sing to check if it's got good acoustics and then that will determine how how um how my <laughs> my time at the hotel room and my time at the city is gonna fare, <laughs> so if it's good, then I'm gonna have a great time in Melbourne. i'm gonna have a great time in Brisbane, so I do an acoustic test that's a, that's a <laughs> bit superstitious <laughs> yeah, but um, I do sing in the shower a lot it's wonderful there's no judgment, I think, so i I hope anyway mm. I'm sure the next door neighbors where I'm living now you know have other thoughts but They haven't expressed them to me yet, so Mm. I'll just live happy in thinking that they're enjoying it. Have
0: you ever had an embarrassing moment on stage? Oh, God. If you you haven't, Yes, if you have to think about it, you obviously haven't. I haven't. If there was
1: something which stood out as as really gross, it would would be there. Yes, it would be. Because the first thing that comes into my head is not my embarrassing moment, but I was in a play at NIDA... And one of our actors sat down quite abruptly and split his pants and he has a habit of not wearing underwear so <laughs> there was a little bit of a show, within a show, happening very close to the apron of the stage and, um, and <laughs> yes, the, the audience witnessed quite well. I love um, was it a comedy? It was a comedy, thankfully. <laughs> <laughs> that helps. Um, and apparently it was quite a big show. So oh, the split—you <laughs> didn't get to see it. It was reasonable. I was—I was, I was upstage somewhere. Uh, how do you like to relax? Because I—I know that um, fine arts is a hobby for you. Oh, it is. I do love it. Like in the first lockdown, I went back heavily into painting again. Um, although I do say that I have a habit of buying art supplies and not using them so I have more art supplies than I do art well it's something it's like um, uh, office works yeah.
0: it's just it's it's they're all so sexy those, it's an those yeah. writing implements you just come out with stuff that you didn't intend to go in there with and it sits in your drawers for
1: I'm I'm very much a, a stationary freak I have a pencil case which is the envy of a lot of stage managers that's in my bag right now um, and um, I love tabbing a script and um, you know doing all of that sort of do you highlight your lines uh I have a system, I have a system for it, um, which is not to highlight till later, but I, but I separate it out with pencil, because I'm a visual person when it comes to learning lines, that if I ever am lost, the first thing that comes into my head is the page. This is past, you know, mm. putting into your body and stuff, and it's mm. like in a moment of panic, the page turns up first, and I know it's in that section where there's a big blob of yellow, and then three yellow lines and a scribble on the side, and then I'm back on track, and then I forget about the page again. But that's not the question. The question is relaxing. Um, yeah, uh, painting more than anything. I'm not necessarily a drawer, but I, I do love painting. I recently discovered um, uh, water-based oils, <laughs> which is a very strange thing to say, but it's, um, it's, it's water-soluble, so you don't need to have those chemicals to clean your brushes and all that kind of stuff, which means you can do it in the safety of your bedroom without having to have a vent. So I get to... Um, I get to go into my little cocoon of, you know, painting in my room. Do you vent often? Uh, not recently. <laughs> recently, it's been very busy, and I actually do feel when I'm haven't done it for a while, a yearning for it. Um, and it happened a few days ago when I just had to get out the sketchbook and did something really, really terrible. But it was it was a way of sort of just putting down things on color on white surfaces that's quite relaxing and-
0: it's the plight of the artist isn't it um, that you always have to find ways to to express yourself you know there's so many actors who when they're not performing do paint or they're great cooks they're always baking something making something um, it's about, about doing something that you're going to see the results of that is an expression of you mm.
1: yeah. and it's also a way of um, processing things that is not necessarily the painting either of you sort of going into a painting mode and can think of other things knitting became a little thing for me for a while when I was doing Australia Day Um, and the stage manager in any of the theatres that we turned up in will put my little lamp on the side of the stage to make sure that I have lights for knitting in the scenes that I'm not in (laughs) because knitting is a wonderful way of sort of still listening to what's happening on stage instead of reading and then you miss your cue knitting you can do and actually be active some part of your mind is active and, um, and then still make it on stage on time <laughs> uh, yeah so that's another thing that I do for relaxation either outside or during a show even
0: I remember learning to knit as a kid I must have been far too tense because it was always so
1: tight tightly <laughs> bound together. Uh, you have to be quite relaxed yes. internet, don't I you? think my initial attempts at it because I was trying to perfect it there was you can feel the tension in, in that sort of fabric and you go like yep that's basically <laughs> my knot of tension just here <laughs> it's like any creative endeavour once you sort of ease and relax into it you know there's a flow there's an organic flow that happens and mm. it's beautiful mm. not to say that my knitting is beautiful but it, it has moments of <laughs> of beauty great beauty so Kenneth why, why did you want to be an actor? Mm. Um, okay hey. I don't... Know. Okay. So maybe the first ever experience that I had of of seeing sort of the power of theatre was when our dad took us to... We were still in the Philippines, and our dad took us to a production of a, of Peter Pan Ballet by the Philippine Ballet. Um, the ballet itself was great, it's fine. But when the tap-dancing crocodile turned up <laughs> and fell into the orchestra pit, and it was like, it was not a very good... Um, costume of a crocodile but I was completely in, enchanted by it. <laughs> and then when he fell into the orchestra pit... Was that he, intended or yeah, part yeah, of the show? Yeah, it, it was intended. I just thought it was like so highly amusing that that sort of memory was just retained in my brain for a while and then I continued on being the next doctor in the family. I was destined to become the next doctor in the family. Both my parents are medical doctors. My mom's a Pathologist, and my dad is um, a dermatologist, and a gynecologist who taught internal medicine at a university. I was really keen when I was, when I was younger. I used to visit the hospital. The hospital was like a playground to me, and his clinic, and um, and he was, I was flicking through all of the books, um, constantly asking questions. I had the marks. But then, you know, later on, <laughs> it took a complete veering away You from. were seduced by the circus. Yes, I was indeed. Um, I started doing... Uh, so in, 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 then I was living in Seattle. I wasn't allowed to be in the drama group in Seattle because it was we were bussed. I don't know if you know the term bussing in the US in a public school. We were taken from one suburb in, and put into a school that's quite far away for, so that the balance of... Um, Diversity, like ethnicity, and you know, um, and economic sort of um, what do you call that? Like if you're poor or rich. What's a more elegant way of saying if you're poor or rich? <laughs> like your um, economic means. So if your economic means to balance out the economic means within the school. Um, so there was a drama club there that I kind of wanted to join, and I've asked my brother to sort of do it. And it was it was going to take two buses and a couple of walks to to get there after school, you know, like to get home after school and it wasn't going to work out. So that was on the side. When I came to Australia, though, I started doing um, ATYP classes um, after school, not necessarily telling my parents that I was doing it. (laughs) They were happy for me to be doing extracurricular activities. So that's fine.
0: Well, that, was there
1: a parental expectation that you would go into medicine? Yeah, that was the family business. So definitely, and and, and it was um, because I was interested in cane. That's that's the other thing. So it was just like that's going to happen. Um, yeah, and it's it's when I got to Australia, and I was given that opportunity to 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 start sort of being around performers and actors. At ATYP, I was I was in a scholarship a couple of times because you had to be a student of ATYP to be in the shows at ATYP uh, and there were a couple of plays that I did with them before I went to NIDA and um could not afford it so Tip Top the bread company actually had the scholarship for a student every term so I was in I did a couple of those ones to sort of so sort of, I, w- I was in a class to be able to do the shows and we did a, an Australian play called White Paper Flowers and a tour of Twelfth Night directed by Patrick Nolan um which did um, regional New South Wales. And for... for, for How how old was I? 17? 18? To be doing a tour of a play, and theatre was quite new to me, was really amazing. Who did you play? I played Antonio. Right. Um, but I was the lead in the first one, because I was Asian. <laughs> and it was a play about Tiananmen Square. So... <laughs> um, I'm sure that wasn't the only reason why I was playing the lead. <laughs> Maybe it was the only reason, but um, I have enough skills to sort of do that role as well. But it was very early. I mean, this is before drama school. Um, so when you when you came out as an actor to your parents, were they supportive? Well, <laughs> um, I auditioned for NIDA again without telling them um, and then just waited. And then when I did receive news that I got a place that's kind of when I brought the news to them (laughs) and my mum's first question was what's (laughs) Nida?" and then my stepdad always sort of tells the story that of the change in my mum's face when (laughs) when it dawned upon her that it it wasn't going to be a medical field (laughs) um and um you know with still the same you know sense of achievement but (laughs) and there's healing involved with what you do
0: Yeah. uh, What what do you mean? What do you mean? Well, well, the arts are a great healer to to audiences, and uh, Mm -hmm. they infuse them with great joy and and
1: quality of life, and and inform them. That's very true. One of the things that my mum told me when we were discussing about my acting and the choice to sort of go into that. This is years later after that moment. um, Was that I would have been a good doctor because of the same sort of empathy that I have that we kind of require as performers um, or, or people who are collaborators is that sort of sense of listening, is problem solving. So all of those skills that we kind of need as, um, as somebody who works in the arts was something very useful within the medical field for diagnosis and, you know, for, for really listening to what ails people and what symptoms they have and, and, and collating that to sort of find a solution. So it's very sort of similar collaborative way of thinking. <laughs> um, so that's I take that as a, the acceptance of <laughs> yeah. the choices that I've made, but yeah. she's completely fine now. You were born in Cambridge, Massachusetts. I was. So Mum you... and dad were, um, were there at the time. They were working as medical technologists. Um, and me and my older brother were born in the U.S. Um, and then they moved back to the Philippines to sort of further their studies, and then they become med- medical doctors. That's the other thing. Is like at any point before the age of thirty five, I could have just picked up medicine again because they were late into becoming doctors. Like not after, not straight after high school, they go to university. They had a patch of sort of working in the medical field before going.
0: Did you commence medicine at all? No a study. No.
1: I did a year of science right. in um in University of Western Sydney. Um, but by that time, I kind of knew that it wasn't going to be for me, um, because then I, I did two plays in that year at <laughs> ATVP. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so an American passport, did, was it, has there ever been a pull to go to
1: New York or Los Angeles to I pursue a career? A lot of people have mentioned it to me. Um, one of my first gigs straight out of drama school was a TV show in New Zealand. Um, and um the producer of that was saying, like, your next stop is going to the US, yes, to to pursue work there. And I've never sort of felt that it was important to me in, in a sense. Um I was enjoying everything that I was doing and it wasn't the it wasn't the call of Hollywood that was the reason why I was enjoying what I was doing. <laughs> But I did eventually go, but it was during the worst time that an actor can go, which is the writer's strike (laughs) in 2008. But it was the right time because i just finished a feature film uh, that sort of went around to festivals everywhere, and maybe it was the right time. Um, And then I did live in L.A. for a year. It was was a hard slog. And I sort of kind of came back to do a guestie in a television show, and I never came back. Um, And if an opportunity comes to to work there, obviously I will, you know, I will take up on it, but... It still is not necessarily what I kinda of want to do. You always pursued the work rather than yeah. the fame or yeah. or
0: the financial benefit. Yeah,
1: definitely. Yeah. But it doesn't hurt if you have the other two. <laughs> yeah, it helps. <laughs> nice little sweetness.
0: So how was NIDA? NIDA was NIDA
1: was great. Is yeah. is the is the the, the quick an, answer. The quick answer. <laughs> uh but NIDA was a very interesting time for me. Um like in terms of like representation it was it was it was on its way to sort of to to making efforts to diversify the school a little bit but i did go into a school for somebody who doesn't know a lot about western theater um to be taught a whole new slew of things that kind of feel don't relate to me but did eventually what year did you go in I went in at ninety two and I graduated in ninety five is that right no ninety three and 94. I went in ninety three and then I graduated in ninety five right. so um, this was um, a year that that Kevin Jackson and Tony Knight were integral in selecting and um, it was a wonderful bunch of people that i was that I, that was definitely in my year and, and a lot of us are still working, um, which is great. what did you do for your audition i did um, the box speech from Rosencrantz and Guilds and Dead and Tom from Glass Menagerie um, but I did do that Antonio speech from the, from the Twelfth Night thing and they told me I was cheating because it's a play that I've done before and it's not necessarily a monologue from the, from the selected pieces of monologues that they usually expect you to audition with so they gave me um, Edmund from King Lear yeah. Because they wanted to see that particular aspect of um, my range, in a sense. I did that for my night audition. I had to do it as a
0: bullfrog. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a, that's a bonus. I didn't did get any of those directions. I would they have didn't throw things at you like that at the audition.
1: No, not not necessarily. Um, or did they? They did tell me to pick up a joke book and just. Flick through it, like, randomly. Tell a joke. And tell that joke. And I suppose, is that an exercise in comic timing? I don't know. Or maybe comprehension. (laughs) Or maybe, can I read? (laughs) Read. And not just memorize. Um, But neither was... um, I learned so many things from it. Um, It was in... We had so many productions that we did. Because we had, like, a full play at the end of first year at the beginning of second year, me and another one of my classmates, Paul R. Randall, were taken out of our year to be, um, kind of like seconded into a professional production of a new musical that was written by Hilary Bell and Stephen Ray, the music, directed by Jim Sharman. And it had all these wonderful people in it, like Paul Cappies, for shaman, DJ Foster, Darren Yap was in it, who's one of my, you know, one of my icons, one of my, uh, the people that I look up to so much. Um, was it Jenny Letic? What uh, was the music? Craig Island. It was called the Wedding Song, right. um, and it was this about this sh- ship that gets um, shipwrecked into a small island, and this the, the natives have never seen white people before, so they were revered as um, as gods in a sense. And then it turns dark and all that kind of stuff. But um, it was a part of um, two new musicals that neither Company was presenting that year. So. So I got to do that and then we did three other plays in second year and then Because it was traditionally a, a Chekhov play Yeah, so we did Three Hitler Sisters uh, and I played Tism back in that one We did Eps and Downs which, which that pants um, <laughs> pants fiasco happened uh, and Oh my God what was the other one? It's escaped me Oh, the Shakespeare. Right. And then the Shakespeare. So it was like a high, highly theatrical naturalism Shakespeare and then something else. So the something else was ups and down. The highly theatrical one, they did a version of The Devil's while Paul and I were doing the musical. And then The Merchant of Venice and then Three Sisters was the second year plays. And in third year, we did um, uh, uh, an adaptation of La Ronde. Schnitzler. Yep. yep. Um, where um, Tony and I did an adaptation where each of the scenes would jump a decade, um, which is a great showcase piece because each of the actors in it were had two wonderful scenes to play. Um, and then side by side with that, there was a production of Ghetto that was directed by Roz Horin, which is this beautiful national theatre sort of original play about um, Polish Jewish people in a ghetto. Um, and they were a theatre company that would... Um, Perform for the Nazis um, and the tension of will they keep them, will they not? Um, beautiful songs, quite sad. And then we did a production of Guys and Dolls, um, which was a wonderful musical. Helen Delamar played Miss Adelaide, um, and it was very successful. <laughs> it was lovely,
0: eclectic content there mm. to to really stretch yourselves in all sorts of ways.
1: And luckily, we had a, a year that was quite musical, so we 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 got to do a musical for a, a, an acting course. So that's that's wonderful. Nancy Hayes was our choreographer. Wonderful, yeah, wonderful. Um, David Mamet, the
0: playwright, says that training institutions are about the students pleasing the tutors, not being
1: themselves. I came across that recently, and I thought. I can it's, agree. It's I, I do agree with that. Yeah. Um Because I came straight from university, doing that year of science, into a drama school, and I did not have like life experiences that they require you to have in a sense before sort of jumping into a course like the NIDA acting course. I was treating everything like it was academic when it really isn't. <laughs> it's it's a lot more. The creative exploration is is you know is is not a syllabus based <laughs> endeavor it's about discovery it's about your own benchmarks um it's about experiences that you may have not experienced before and it's 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 scary um but i was i didn't have enough of a voice to say no wait this is not my experience I, it was about me going like am i doing this right is this enough to pass that sort of yeah. that sort of attitude so can i can agree with that statement but sort of learned through the process that that wasn't what I needed to do. <laughs> well, effectively, the real learning you do
0: is out on the job. Mm-hmm. And then you continue to develop over those next 10, 20, 30, 40 years, however you, long you remain an actor. Yeah. yeah.
1: It, it, that, that's one of the things that I love about this job, in a sense, is that there, there was a constant learning, not just about acting itself, but about other things. Like, because, you, you know, plays are not about actors. Well, some plays are about actors, but plays are about other people and their endeavors and what do what do those endeavors mean you know what is the world that they live in have you ever played a doctor uh only once (laughs) 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 only once in a one of those reenactment shows when i was living in la and i did take a photo and send it to (laughs) mum. look i've got a lab coat
0: (laughs) she's got that she's got so venturing into the industry 27 years ago what were the roles that were available to you as a Filipino actor oh god not a lot
1: <laughs> I'm assuming waiters drug, um, drug dealers terrorists I played that I played all of that oh no. um, and a, a lot of the television a, a lot of us drama school students you know graduate and do like your random guest in a television show sort of start you off and the roles that were afforded me were you know in that vein terrorists um, refugees um, yes drug dealers I played a prostitute once as well ethnically specific mm-hmm. yeah. definitely and, um, and as dramatically interesting the roles were there was um, I, I did not think about the other aspect of it like the optics of the fact that, that all of the roles that I've been playing are either uh, oppressed or pushed down or just minor to the main storytelling so and never the centre of, of the story so so that was interesting but um, I always grateful for a gig and navigating around that time for um, an industry that doesn't have a lot of roles for people of color, you can arc up or you can just do it. (laughs) But um, a a good friend of mine, Pearl Tan, once said in a conversation that we were having about this, and it's it's about, it's about, it's about coaching by infiltration, (laughs) is to be seeped into it do the best job that you can and then maybe things will change beyond that. But having said that, uh, I did I did start sort of using my voice in that particular aspect. There was one TV show where I said that does this character have to be uh, this ethnicity in the story because that's what was written before when I'm not that ethnicity and then they changed it to Filipino, which is the first ever Filipino roles of the very few Filipino roles that I played <laughs> in um in Australian television. It's mostly Indonesian. <laughs> that I play because that's what people are writing about, and Vietnamese, which I'm even further away from. Um, but yeah, um, um, making sure that you know, language-wise, whenever I get given a role, that that the scripts written are not, um, you know, written in some sort of phonetically Asian language rather than coming from a real basis of how people from that culture talk. So, so is, that, is that, that, that's like, um, is it the term yellow face to sort of, to really write the most phonetic? In, in, it's more like, it, it's more like we call it in the community, in the Asian community, generic Asian. Sometimes they just ask you to do a generic Asian accent or, or they write it. Of their concept of to- the, the creative, the, the white creative. Yeah. Of, of like, it's just slightly choppy. There's a lot of sort of these particular um um, consonants in it. Yeah, just <laughs> Repetition. Me, I, I um I, I featured Fiona Choi in it. Mm-hmm. Oh, this. she's wonderful. I she's, love her. She's absolutely wonderful.
0: And she told a story that at an audition, her feedback was, "Can't you be a little bit more Asian <laughs> Oh God. You know, I mean, how do you respond to that?
1: It's a it's a constant, and like even with younger people that I meet these days, because I think that that was my generation's plight. It still happens, <laughs> and it's really it's really disheartening in a sense. Um, but um. It, it is getting better. It is getting better. So that's that's one very good thing. We have a very vocal um, um, cohort of artists these days that really speak up. So that's kind of important. But to speak up back then may not sort of help because we are such a minority.
0: <laughs> was it was there a turning point? Do you think where you started to get
1: other types of roles? And it happened in theatre more than than anything. I think because of um, my relationships with people within the theatrical realm. Um, What would be a turning point? I'm not really sure. The thing is with me is I say yes to everything. (laughs) So whatever it is that gets handed to me, I just go, yep, I'll do that. Um, And then find what I can do best within that. So in terms of a turning point, it wasn't... mm. Let me have a think about that one. Get back to me. Let me ask you about a role that
0: you did in Muir's wedding mm-hmm. uh, Charlie Chan the owner of a Chinese restaurant mm-hmm. dancing atop a lazy Susan mm-hmm. which seems to have been a lot of the stereotypes H- how did you feel about well you were creating that role for the stage also did you have much of a say in
1: strangely enough the history of me and that character goes a little further back uh, the guy who played it in the film was a was a a, a man called John Claire Lee and in the '90s, in the mid '90s, I think I did a production of a play that he's written called Shattered Jade, and um, and it was basically um, I was playing a representation of one of his experiences. So I was basically playing John Cleary <laughs> in this play, and then years later I'll be playing Charlie Chan, which is the role that he originated in the film, which is really interesting. So so that was that was one of the the kind of yeses. I'm sort of saying yes to. To that show um but within that within that sort of murals wedding world it was a, a battle of like yes do you you represent their the white characters racism and, and attitude towards the asian characters or do you sort of step up and go like suddenly make it b- become about charlie chan so it's like knowing that that's the support <laughs> in a sense and yes, I've expressed, you know, um you know, trepidation in things and sort of do I do this to be subservient? Is there gags that are not helping the cause? But at the end of the day, I did say yes to that particular aspect of the role and and did my very best and I don't know how successful it is. <laughs> um but that's I suppose where the importance of of having agency with the work that you choose, and maybe at that point I didn't feel like I did, but it was definitely one of the, one of the the starting points for you know creating Quenta, that production company that we have, and really focusing on stories that kind of mean a little bit more to me. Um,
0: yeah. Well, in true colorblind casting, uh, you go on to play
1: a German <laughs> in War Horse. There was, well, and an English soldier as well there was um, a a chance folk of Devon and then I was a German soldier and a British officer and stuff um, but warhorse being from the from the the English model West End theater where inclusivity is a little bit a little is a little better than what we have here um, and the the characters are important not necessarily who is playing the character um, but the capacity for these actors to play those characters yeah and so having been cast in War Horse in that sense was, was incredible because I did get to sort of lay on those accents that I didn't think I was going to need when I was learning them at NIDA. Because every week we would have a different accent that is taught to us and we started with mostly regional English accents. And, uh, and I'm going like, but where's Cambodian and <laughs> where's Thai? <laughs> the ones that would be useful for me. Yep. But you know, if I did just brush up on my Cockney a little bit better when I was at NIDA, I could have played the cockney character that I played a little bit better I think. Um but um but the, the story the story itself was was incredible. And to be able to support the story with what your capabilities are as an actor in terms of like physicality, your your vocal um your vocal capacity was extremely satisfying and Race didn't come into it within the company. Race was a, th- uh, a theme within the story because of the separation between those warring factions. But but really, it sort of broke through that, and it was very satisfying.
0: But unfortunately, probably not
1: to some of the audience. Yes, well, it, it still took a while for <laughs> for people to sort of latch onto that. Even some friends of mine. I'm just going when I was talking to them about um, playing that um, that German soldier. Um, I was met with like a with a hmm <laughs> just a a sort of polite smile as in like I don't necessarily think that that was the right thing for you to do but did not want to sort of breach the subject further was it Asian friends or no no, no, just. no. but because um, Asian friends would celebrate that it's like you know coming from a minority you go like we're not saying that it's the ultimate thing that we all want to play those roles it's just that the fact that you can is definitely a point of celebration. And you you do hear, like, there was one time where we were passing by after the show to get back to the accommodation, and I hear somebody in the back going, I can't believe that Asian guy was going to shoot the horse, which is one of the characters that I play as an officer that's about to shoot the horse. And um, it's interesting that they noticed that he was Asian, but, you know, that phrase itself is loaded with, like, <laughs> it's that Asian guy shooting the horse. <laughs> It's, there's There's a certain um villainy that's attached to being other the same way that you know English villains are popular in American movies, and then in 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 many cases, you know the Chinese are a threat and apparel and you know so it's interesting what what people can take from it in a sense, and which is why it's really, really interesting to cast across um uh, color conscious casting I think is the the term that that I like using is because there's there's a certain level of um commentary that can be put on if you do cast somebody of a particular um, of a particular ethnicity or race into a role that's not necessarily that what else can be gained by seeing that on stage um, It adds uh, a few more layers to a presentation that only theater can do really successfully mm mm-hmm including allowing you to play a hyena. Yes, well, that's... <laughs> I don't know, I had to talk to my hyena friends about, you know, do some <laughs> intensive research. That's, there's something really freeing about that, the fact that, that, that they are actually animals that, that makes you kind of focus on aspects of humanity that doesn't involve race, although you can argue that some of, some, of, um, some of that Disney framework... Am I going to get in trouble with Disney? <laughs> that it is like you know, the heheunis were, were lower class. They have African American lilt to their speech, or well, in the Mexican. Um, we're
0: talking Lion King, of course, if the listener hasn't caught on yet. Uh, but in the um, the animated
1: version, Whoopi Goldberg was was, was Shenzi's voice, wasn't she? Um, and I was playing Banzai, who was Chich Marin in 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 the movie. So Latino. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, which is really interesting.
1: There was, a, there was an exploration that was done when, when Julie Tamer was here to direct it to, to find an equivalent accent within the Australian landscape of that. And we tried a couple of accents in, in, in our particular, and I won't mention which ones they are, <laughs> but it just kind of did not work because it, was, um, it, was, it, it brought about a lot of, um, a lot of weight and uh, judgment perhaps on, on who these characters could be. But you know, with, with that, it, like our version of our hyenas were just cheeky and not necessarily black and Latino, <laughs> um, which was wonderful. And that is an exhausting role, but it was it is a truly satisfying role because it's hilarious. Um, but also got got you to develop skills of puppetry as
0: well. Definitely, it's, it's I've been excited.
1: I've always been obsessed with puppetry. Um, my cousins always remind me that I used to charge them like one peso each to go and watch a puppet show that I've made cut out cut out figures you know from paper and cardboard put them in sticks make a little stage and then do a story where I do all the voices I don't remember it that much but they seem to so it was a memorable pr- made the production, production. <laughs> uh, and I, I've always loved the, 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 I've always loved puppetry and, um, and so to be involved in War Horse as well to see that amazing puppet uh, those amazing horse puppets was 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 a very very big highlight in my career, I think. Uh, in the West End at the moment, they've got uh, a stage
0: version of The Life of Pi. I did see some footage of it. That's extraordinary. Again, it reminded me of Warhorse, but you know, seven actors have just won the Olivier Award as Best Supporting Actor for controlling and playing and bringing, bringing the tiger to life.
1: There's uh, some of the people that were in the original War Horse production were like puppetry consultants in that one as well. So I keep on seeing it in my feed, and I think it's wonderful that that lineage of puppetry sort of continues to be refined and be used in our sort of storytelling. I think it's wonderful.
0: These, these big commercial musicals, um, plays that you're being part of, Miss Saigon must have been around about the same time as Oh early working. Have you ever had a crack at Miss Saigon?
1: Uh, I've, I've had several. Um, when I was still in drama school, when the first Miss Saigon was, was being auditioned, but surely, you're, I'm thinking you're obviously a candidate for the engineer. Yes, I was. Um, I, was I was... So the 2000 and, uh, the 1996, I was still in drama school. The 2007, I was doing a film in the middle of the South Australian desert and I couldn't make it to the callback, so we abandoned auditioning for that. The 2014 West End, uh, I was seen for and I was flown to London to do my final callback. But unfortunately, didn't get the gig, um, which was, but I got a free trip to London, which is great. <laughs> but uh, it's, um, it's a relationship that I do want to keep active within for that show. It, it is a wonderful role. Um, and one day, maybe, I don't know if I don't get too old.
0: <laughs> well, I, I still think there's a couple of decades in front of you where <laughs> you can still do it.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a, beauty, it's a beautifully nuanced character and it's had a lot of history uh, in terms of, like, um, talking about representation for Asian-American, Asian-Australian sort of performers worldwide. Uh, or, yeah, Asian performers worldwide in a musical. Uh, and it's one of the roles that, 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 you know, that you can take with relish if you're a person of colour. Um, you know, and it has problematic streaks to it, but... Um, overall, the, the show is beautiful, the music is stunning. Mm.
0: Can we spend some time talking about Nick Enright? Oh, please. Because you featured in his play, uh, A Man with Five Children, at the STC in 2002. Mm-hmm. Um, a great
1: playwright, a great theatre practitioner, but also a great teacher. Mm. He was, um, so that was my first production for Sydney Theatre Company, and I remember doing the audition. And I turned up there and it was only um Nick Enright there <laughs> reading opposite me and George was away at the time I think so he wasn't so so it was only Nick that was auditioning me. Um I think that's right, yes. So he was reading opposite me for the the scenes that I was given. And first and foremost the generosity that he had <laughs> to make me feel comfortable within that space. It was the first time that I'd been to the Sydney Theatre Space in that capacity. We were in the stage of Wharf One, and it was (laughs) nerve-wracking. And yeah, and soon after, sort of, got the role. And um, he was always in the rehearsal room for the first few weeks, just to to guide us through the play that he's written. Because originally, it was a, a, a project at WAPA, the whole of uh, the man with five children thing. It was a, um, and the character that I eventually played, Roger, was a combination of other characters that people have created, but then he refined and made it into what the man, a man with five children, is now. Um, and so it was a very rich sort of creation from the get go. Uh, but the amount of capacity that he he gave us to to sort of fly with these characters was was incredible um and um even a little stumble that you have in um in rehearsal where you go is it the line he would say okay no it isn't nick (laughs) and i've said this before to him it isn't nick it's just me (laughs) (laughs) the line is beautiful and perfect as it is and i just stumbled um that sort of amount of care for the actor um is, is is truly wonderful very generous man. Um and it was during that production as well that we kinda of found out he was sick. Um, just before we opened. So it was a very um sad time for us, as well as a wonderful time for us because the play is absolutely stunning. Yeah. it was his last major player. Mm-hmm. I think he had another play at NIDA that that was produced, but so it was the second last player, but it was just the last main stage play I think that that, that happened, um, And you know, um, I got to work with some brilliant people in that play as well: Stephen Beasley, Kate Mulvaney, Travis McMahon Anthony Way, um, and George Ogilvy himself, the wonderful, generous um, director. And the the odd thing about that as well is we we did have an opportunity to film things and we we went in the third week of rehearsals we filmed all of the things that were up on the screen because it was a documentary about, it's very similar to the 7 Up series, so we had some moments of being up on the screen so it was an exercise in both film acting and stage acting at the same time and it was just a truly special special play What was it like acting in the Philippines? Um... And how did that come about? <laughs> I was I was in um I was I go to the Philippines often. Um you've got family there still. Mm-hmm. But once a year, maybe. With COVID. I haven't been for two and a half years now, which is really frustrating. I might be going in the next few months. Um, and I was there and I caught up with a friend of mine who was highly involved in Repertory Philippines, which is um the the probably the, the longest running English language they present English language plays and musicals Um, like people like Lea Salonga kind of started there and a lot of the original Saigon kids were sort of um, mentored and tutored in in that sort of environment Um, and she was doing a production of August Osage County (laughs) and I went as a joke I sort of texted her saying oh is there any way I can be in it and stuff and she texted me back and I said, can you just meet the director and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I'm going to go like, oh, okay. So I did and sort of managed to sort of nab the role of Bill Fordham, which was astounding. Um, and uh, did the season there, delayed my, you know, changed my flight to later so I can do the season and just worked in the Philippines for a while in this wonderful wonderful play and that's the other thing as well if I one of the reasons I would I said yes to that is because when would be the opportunity in the Australian theatre landscape where I could be in that play (laughs) to do that
0: great contemporary American
1: drama Mm -hmm. so um, and it was extremely satisfying you know the play is so solid and strong and it just it just holds you up every night it's a long play um, but it's thoroughly engaging it's a fantastic feat as an actor to sort of um, to sort of be a part of um, so yeah that's and that 's probably the only experience that i 've had in the Philippines so far, um, and it was a good one
0: <laughs> so when you were at Nida, were there any thoughts that being a director might be on your horizon at some point? Not
1: necessarily <laughs> definitely not. I think I was just finding my um, my way as an actor, and in that one of my thoughts now is that i didn 't think I was ready to it was about collecting at that early part of my career collecting information and and processing it before i can formulate something that is going to be my director's voice in a sense um as i mentioned like i didn't grow up with sort of um being involved in theatrical pursuits and stuff so it was a, i was a late starter in that sense so i had to sort of do that work first in getting to know the lay of the landscape and and what I what I do think, finding my voice. So it was a little bit later. I always joke about the fact that yes, maybe I should be a director because I keep on giving people notes. But I don't <laughs> <laughs> Nobody refute that please. Um in the comments down below. Um But yeah, it was it was definitely a later thing when it happened. And um it was and one of the things that solidified that was when I was working as an actor for Paige Rattray in a production at, at Sydney Theatre Company of a play called *Australian Graffiti*, and um, we would have our little moments outside, just sort of debriefing. And she mentioned to me, "Have you ever thought about being a director? Because you have a way of discussing things on the table that's a little bit, uh, a, a little bit more above than than the love for your character, and that's that's what's so special about." actors is that they, they would defend their character selfishly and that's a f- wonderful pursuit <laughs> but I think I started to sort of step back away from, from that and, and started looking at dramaturgical things or you know, things that are that involve other characters <laughs> and that was a progression towards sort of seeing a bit more of an overview play rather than a play from the point of view of the, the character the singular character that you're playing, and I found that fascinating because the the, the the amount of things that you do have to sort of think about just widens up a little bit um, and I was ready, I think, so that's when I started really pursuing directing. Um, I haven't given up acting, obviously you're still uh, a gunfolow, <laughs> but um
0: it's great to do both. And you've served quite an apprenticeship assisting some mm-hmm. preliminary directors. I did, I did. Um, so part, part, of,
1: part of the, um, part of the, the CAP, uh, the Centre, uh, the Contemporary Asian Australian Performance, which is run by um, who we call our fairy godmother, Annette um developed a programme with SDC to have four um, Asian Australian directors be involved in in S D C and to, to, to be mentored, to observe, to watch, and then kinda of got escalated and then we were given assistant directing gigs. Um, and I've had I've assisted Paige and I've assisted Kip Williams within that sort of program and it was immensely useful, um, to sort of learn from from those amazing people. And to see how a theatre company runs and all of the things that you need to know as a director, it was invaluable sort of information that you can get just by hanging around, basically. (laughs) So it was a wonderful program to sort of get you started. And it also led to a couple of other gigs, like the, the final project that we did for the SDC Cup directors was to direct the four emerging playwrights of SDC or a production at NIDA, um, with the graduating years at NIDA, and uh, we did four new plays, each of each directed by us four directors, but as um, as a singular show, and that was really satisfying. Um, yeah, so really appreciate that experience that they've sort of given us, and it gave you the it gave you the onus to call yourself a director, which is probably one of the the one of the biggest leaps you can make to actually claim that ownership. The same way that you say as an actor as well when you get a professional gig and you go like, oh, yeah, I've made, here's a paycheck from acting. <laughs> I can call myself an actor and I don't have to sort of I can do acting on the side. <laughs> but I'm really a waiter.
0: This <laughs> is about getting those runs on the board. I mean, mm-hmm. We've seen those CVs where people will list themselves as actor, playwright, director... Producer. I'm one of those ones. <laughs> <laughs> I've turned into a massive slashy these days. But, but you've got the uh, the runs to prove it. So you can legitimately call yourself uh, all of those things.
1: But having that ownership of that term gives you so much power to then create. Because the doubt of, of, of being able to do it sort of dissipates a little bit. And you just focus on what you actually do want to do and say. Um, So that was an important step for me with that program to sort of claim ownership of sort of saying I'm a director and then finding that, yes, I have, I think I can do this (laughs) Mm -hmm. and then end up doing it.
0: And then a a joint artistic director, founder of of Quento with uh, Jordan
1: Shea and and Yana Vass. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, when I I wrote a play called One Hour No Oil with Geordie. Uh, that we put into the 25A program and then He'll be be very happy that we're finally mentioned him See that, hear that? Jordan Shea Um, (laughs) He would be very happy and um, we we put that into the 25A program and it got programmed but it was cancelled due to the first round of COVID Um, and um, we found this partnership to be quite um, fruitful I think we have a very good communication and shorthand with each other when we're creating stuff and then we put in an application for uh, the red Line, um 2021 season and we got a slot and then from there we started sort of asking people to produce for us but because of the lockdowns everybody was gagging to do their own work so mm-hmm. the producers that we respect and admire all had their own projects to do and didn't have time to sort of to, to take on this so we thought maybe it's now the time to to do to set up a production company that um and then we sat down and we we really thought about what this production company means and it's not about sort of filling what's missing out there it's just what we what we as from our collective experience have experienced in the industry what we kind of want to happen if we were artists that were hired by us um and then started building the foundations of what this company means, and, and it does um, obviously new work is important to us, obviously representation of people that are other is important to us, but also because we are existing currently in the independent world is having those people um, um, that 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 need and want to be mentored to be to be given opportunities even if they lack the experience as such. So all and, and yet we obviously want to work with like, you know, the best professionals out there, the ones with, you know, the the most amazing talent. So it was it's been a combination of all of those things that we wanted sort of Quento to be. And it's still we're still a young company and we're still sort of refining what we we can do and what we can say. But um it's been really, really satisfying to have that much control over the stuff that you present. I mean, I have, being an actor for so long, we're usually the last <laughs> in the equation. <laughs> it's like everything gets decided before you get in there. Um, and having having that much sort of um, you know, a hand in sort of creating it from the ground up from all aspects has been truly amazing to sort of have that onus. Well La
0: Via is your, your the, the latest offering by Quinto. First yeah. offering?
1: Uh, it it was meant to be You, you
0: were going to be
1: downstairs at yeah, uh, we were well, last we, time before COVID. Yeah, we were gonna be it was gonna be one hour no oil first and then when in twenty twenty one it was gonna be the marriage agency, which is Samantha's Shad's beautiful comedy. And then now because of the way that the things yeah. have this has become our Flagship production, yeah, great, what we we're doing. Set in
0: 1996, John Howard has just won the election. Mm-hmm. Pauline, Pauline Hanson is, is sworn in,
1: maiden speech. Um, so it's taking all of that sort of collective experience and then using that as a way of talking about what is happening now, um, and and the reason why it's also in the past because it it it's that first generation. Um, migrant sort of story we needed we needed that sort of landscape to sort of be able to sort of um highlight the difficulties of having to sort of survive in Australia when you first come here so but you know it's not all grim there's, there's funny bits in it <laughs> <laughs> what's your rehearsal room like yeah um it's um it's it's a new work so it's 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 highly collaborative at the moment we're looking at the text in currently um, and we are examining it. we ex- examining it fully. We're breaking it down. We're um, unpacking it, making sure that it sort of sits well in the in the voices of the actor. And also, we're collecting experiences from the people within the room, of their families' own experiences of migrating here and uh, what it feels like to be living in a particular suburb or. Um, um, what are your siblings like? What are your family like in the Philippines? All of that gets fed into the mix at the moment, so it's it's a really rich exploration. Um, so we're at that stage at the moment, and we'll start formulating it onto. We've done we've done some blocking. There's some dance rehearsals. Yes, there's some dance in it, uh, <laughs> and um, yeah, so that's what it's like. And, and side by side with that, I've been talking to the creatives about music. Michael toasura is a brilliant composer and sound designer that I've worked with before. Um, Martin Kinane is our lighting designer, and Ruru Zhu is um, our um, production designer. So we're, in parallel, been working at how to present this show. Um, Yeah, and we've got a wonderful cast. Um, Kaya Ocampo is a recent WAPA graduate. Joseph Raboy is a recent Actors Center graduate. And then we've got Marcus Rivera, who has played the engineer in Miss Saigon. and uh, a wonderful actress called Anna Lee, um, who's um, been around the traps for a while and she's absolutely stunning. And uh, a young indigenous performer called Dindi Huckle Uh caps off the cast of Five. We're
0: well, certainly featuring some, some great new faces. Yes,
1: definitely. It was one of the things as well that when I kind of realised when I started sort of directing and doing auditions and casting people is to see the amount of um, faces that are out there. Because back in the day, you know, there were, every time I would go to an audition, there would be the same three people that I know going for the same role, and it's always the same. It's like a catch up for us going, oh, here you are again, blah, 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 blah. But then you see a whole lot of new faces coming in, talented, you know, rich, diverse, young, energetic, and you go, yep, there's um, we're going the right way, I think. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, it's a butte space at the Old Fitz where where Redline um, are homed, are housed. It truly is, uh, and it's going to be your home between the twelfth of May and the fourth of June. Yes, indeed. And I think uh, bookings can be made
1: through Redline Productions. That's, that's right. Jump we, online and have a look. Yes, please. We also have a couple of community days to make sure that we are getting the Filipino community in to um, to watch this because this is a story for about the Filipino community here in Australia so we are highly encouraging them to sort of watch it but we're making a reach out specifically for a couple of shows to make sure that they feel welcome within a space that they might not have been to so I think that's important to us in making sure that we share the story properly Vital I would
0: say mm. Well actor-director Kenneth Moraleta. Yes. Chalkers for Arte Lavia. Thank you very much for having me here. Chalkers, Jordan Shay for Arte Lavia. That's your second mention. Yes, that's it, the playwright, the playwright. <laughs> um, lovely to catch up, Ken, um, and um, all the best. Thank you. Arte Lavia by Jordan Shay plays the Old Fitz Theatre from May 12th until June 4th. Bookings can be made through the Redline Productions website, and that is www.redlineproductions.com.au. Arte Olivia is directed by my guest in this episode, Kenneth Moraneda. Chookers to Kenneth, Jordan and the team at Quento and Redline for a most successful season. Thanks for joining us in this episode. You can check out all of the episodes featured in the podcast thus far by visiting our website, www.stagespodcast.com.au. And don't forget, the Stages podcast is being featured in this year's Vivid Sydney program with a three evening series of conversations with leading arts practitioners. Come down to the Powerhouse Museum and be in the audience for Stages Live on June 2nd, 9th or 16th. Perhaps all of them do the trio. It'll be great to have the chance to say hello and be a part of the recording of these exciting episodes where I'll be talking with Carmen Pavlovich, Jennifer Irwin and Julie Lynch and Declan Green. I'm Peter Ayers. Keep well, keep warm, stay safe, and I'll catch you next time on Stages.